If you're like me, you love being outdoors. When I was a kid, I went camping with my family and I'll never forget those vacations at Wages Creek in Northern California. It felt so good to escape the business of the city. Standing on the beach, looking out at the Pacific Ocean, made me feel connected to nature and gave me a sense of freedom. I'm Mary Herendine. Welcome to Traveling with AAA. I think we all need to reconnect with nature from time to time. And now that people are traveling again, outdoor vacations are more popular than ever. Trips to our national parks top the list. But how do we visit these beautiful places responsibly? How can we enjoy the parks without harming them? And what do we need to do to get the most out of our outdoor vacations? Here to answer those questions and take on some exciting outdoor trips are two adventurers. We have AAA and ACE Publications travel editor, Jim Benning, an award-winning travel journalist who has explored ancient sites in Peru and took his 12-year-old daughter surfing in Costa Rica. Jim, welcome to Traveling with AAA. Thank you. Also, we're delighted to have with us Shane Henry. Shane is a AAA field cartographer, one of a handful of cartographers who actually go out in person to make the maps that we all need. Shane has spent some 20 years exploring the American Southwest in Mexico. Shane, welcome to Traveling with AAA. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you both. So for each of you, where did your love of the outdoors come from and when did it start? Let's start with you, Jim. Well, I grew up in Southern California to, with, with two parents who loved to camp. So uh, we had a Volkswagen camper and we set off every summer on pretty good road trips um, throughout the Southwest, all over California, up into Canada. And I'm pretty sure that's where my love of camping in the outdoors was born. Wow. I also uh, grew the love when I was a child, like I said, out camping with my family. I'm one of eight kids. So a lot of our vacations were traveling um, to local lakes in the area. We went to the beach a lot, so it was pretty awesome. Thank you. And for you? Uh, I grew up on the western slope of the Cascades in a little logging town. So there, there really wasn't a moment when I realized that it just kind of came with birth. Uh, <laughs> trout fishing, hunting for most people, and, uh, and those beautiful mountains. That's your whole life. It really was, is still. Thank you. So Jim has accompanied Shane more than once as Shane has gone out on cartography trips. Last year, the two went to Arches National Park in Utah, and Jim wrote about the experience in the AAA Explorer and Westways Magazine. Guys, tell us a little bit about your trip. Well, the reason we went out there was really um, to explore Arches. Um, Shane was working on a, a map of uh, Arches National Park and doing some uh, field work for the map, um, driving a lot of the back roads of the park. And um, last summer, uh, like a lot of national parks, Arches was seeing just a massive influx of visitors. In fact, so many that they routinely had to shut the front gates and turn people mm -hmm. away. And we thought it would be uh, interesting to go out there, visit the park, and see how the Park Service was handling all of these um, people who understandably were tired of the pandemic and looking to, uh, to get some fresh air and, and enjoy the great outdoors. So that was the reason we went out there really was to to do the story and to work on the map and um, and just kind of see how, how that park um, was, was coping with all of this. It's interesting because uh, I knew kind of what he had in mind and that the crowds and of course through COVID every other article was the disaster of crowding. But the day we arrived, I think it was 114 and uh, some of those smart tourists stayed out of the park so there wasn't really a big crowd that particular day <laughs> wow i bet 114 degrees out yeah it was hot that day 
Yeah, I have um, recently and during COVID, we bought a small travel trailer and also a boat. So we've nice. been doing that for the last two years and it's been amazing. Yeah. So tell us, what was the most exciting thing that happened during your trip or the most surprising? I think for me, um, a couple things. One is we went out there. Um, I was a big fan of a writer named Edward Abbey growing up. He wrote an amazing book about arches called Desert Solitaire. He was a park ranger there back in the late 60s and, um, and really kind of captured the wonder of this park, which was then a national monument. Um, and it's, it's considered one of the classics of outdoor writing. And so Shane had found a old aerial photo of the site in the park where Abby lived for quite a while in a trailer. Um, and the trailer's long gone, but we were able to track down this site in the park that he had written so eloquently about. And it's, um, I mean, for, for people who love reading Abby, it's like, it's kind of a Walden pond. It's like a, it's, it's this iconic site that he really um, celebrated and, and made, you, made you feel as though you were there. So that was one of the highlights. I think the other highlight, uh, apart from finding that spot, which is kind of hard to find, was um, setting out on a hike one day um, and hiking several miles up to this, this wonderful little arch called Partition Arch. Um, it's this, it's this uh, red sandstone arch that's ki it's kind of uh, set off from the main trail. And I had it all to myself for a while. And I was just uh, basking in the, the kind of the, the silence and the, the tranquility of, uh, and, the, and the view through this arch looking out at the park. It was, um, yeah, it was one of the highlights of the trip. Wow, uh, it's definitely taking me there. And to your point, you said that you know Abby was really able to draw readers, um, really paint the picture. So I'm going to pull from your article. You put here um, just an excerpt from Edward Abbey's Desert Solitaire. Standing there, gaping at this monstrous and inhuman spectacle of rock and cloud and sky and space, I feel a ridiculous greed and possessiveness come over me. I'm just transfixed with that. I wonder, how are you feeling? You said that you were there and just kind of alone and enjoying it. Tell us more about that. What were you seeing? What were you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, um, of course, when I first read that, I could absolutely relate to Abby's sentiment, like you want this place all for yourself. Um, but of course, one of the things that I was there to write about was the fact that we all want that place to ourselves. And how, how does the park handle um, you know thousands and thousands of visitors who all want that experience? Um, and so I guess the answer for me was um, finding places where uh, I, you know, where I was, uh, where I could find, get, finding places where I could uh, enjoy some solitude and, um, and just kind of get away from the crowds and um, just feel as though I was really grounded and, and, and connecting with this place. Um, and, um, and then, you know, chatting with the rangers about, uh, you know, how they try to kind of cultivate this experience for all of all of the visitors who, who understandably also are seeking solitude. And um, the article was called uh, A Delicate Balance because the Park Service is trying to create this delicate balance of, um, you know, off, uh, preserving the wilderness, preserving the outdoors, while also giving a lot of people who want to see this area a chance to enjoy it. And it's, um, it's a challenge. That's the, the dichotomy of their mandate is preservation versus accessibility. And Absolutely. That's their job description. That's tough. Yeah.
Yeah, Shane, you know, being an outdoorsman since birth, right, like you said, um, arches and other national parks are getting so popular that many have put in um, place certain c crowd control measures. What are some of the things that we need to know about visiting these places? Uh, I'm, I'm going to defer to Jim in a second about the, uh, the, the new ones that are coming up. But one thing I was thinking about is that there, there is a kind of culture to visiting a national park. So um, tempering your expectations is the first thing you can do. So a park like Arches or Yosemite or Yellowstone, if your expectation is you're going to drive in there and have the wilderness to yourself, you're going to be disappointed every single time. But what the Park Service does do, and by the way, I'm a huge fan of the Park Service. If you want to meet civil servants who really love what they do and will do anything to help you have a great experience, the National Park Service are those people. Um, so there are little things, again, with expectations. If your jam is you love to listen to music as you're barbecuing your hot dogs over the campfire, that's not going to be really part of the national park culture. Now, there are places you can do that, BLM land, national forest campgrounds, some of them. But there, there is a, a kind of respect you need to have for other people's experience around you. Only, and it's only getting worse, or, or it's, there's more need to do that than there was before. And then there's little things like um, that you wouldn't, if, if, if visiting a national park was not part of your family's experience, then the first time you go, which is what happened during COVID, a lot of first timers, there's things you wouldn't know. So if you're driving down the entrance road and you see the shot for Instagram that you've been waiting for, you can't just pull over and, and start taking pictures. There's not really a place to do that. You'll be in the road. If there were 50 parks a day, uh, 50 cars a day in the park, no one would notice they drive around you. But if there's 500, you've immediately caused a traffic jam and a safety hazard. The Park Service is not dumb. They know what those photos are that you want. <laughs> and you'll see just a little ways up is an actual pullout. And that's where you need to pull out and then hike back to your thing. But with all the new visitors, there isn't necessarily a guidebook to some of that stuff. You have to learn it by watching other people and talking to the Park Service. Yeah, thank you for that. Jim. Yeah, you asked about crowd control measures. I mean, I think um, so many parks saw record visitor numbers last year and, and in previous years that um, they've really had to think hard about how to how to give people access to these parks that are their parks while also kind of maintaining a quality experience for everyone. Um, at Arches, where they were literally shutting the gate and, and turning people away for hours on end, they decided to pilot a new timed entry system this year. Um, I think it's starting in April and it'll run through, I think, about September. Um, and you will need a reservation to drive into the park um, at, between certain hours. Um, and that's, that's their, that's their um, they're, they're trying this to see how that, how that works. Uh, other parks are um, trying different things. Um, Yosemite actually has a new uh, reservation system they're implementing for the busiest months of the year this year where you will need, um, you'll also, uh, there will also be a timed entry system there for the, I think it's the first time the park's trying this. Um, and in terms of like dealing with um, the influx of campers and people who want camping reservations, um, they've also started experimenting with a lottery to um, to give people early access to campsites at a popular campground. Um, I, ha I just entered and 
was my my number was not drawn, so I didn't get really uh, <laughs> access to to getting a reservation there. But um, but there there are parks um, all over the country that are experimenting experimenting with different kinds of reservation systems, and um, what that means for you know the average American who wants to get out and see a national park is that the days when you could just hop in your car and sort of spontaneously go um, and visit the most popular parks are are probably behind us for a good long while. Um, and so you really need to, to plan your trip and um, um, check the Park Service website. They have a great website with, with detailed information for each park. Find out whether you need a reservation for the park that you want to visit and what's required for that. Yeah, it's great to hear about the reservation systems. I mean, I didn't realize that that was the thing because, you know, in my younger life, like my parents just took care of it. And as a young adult, my girlfriends and I would just pack up and, and go camp uh, near Lake Tahoe or you know, inland, and it seemed like very spontaneous. We'd just grab our stuff and go. It wasn't a big deal, but now, you know, with two children, I definitely want to make sure we've done our homework. So for San Alijo State Beach, we go every year, and we book a year in advance, but it's really difficult to get in. So thank you for sharing that. Um, what are some other things that we can do to be good citizens in the outdoors? Should we visit in the off-season, for example? Um, or visit some less visited national or state parks? What are your thoughts? Um, you know, we, we used to be the, the, the secret that wasn't a secret in the travel industry was, hey, shoulder seasons, right? Mm -hmm. If you can go um, to Arches before the kids are out of school or just after they start. But for parks like that, for South Rim of the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, uh, Yosemite, there really isn't a shoulder season anymore. There is still an off season, especially if it's one like Yosemite. Yosemite is beautiful in the winter. Jim, Jim loves Yosemite in the winter. Um, so you can still do that. But those, um, those March and October slots that, you know, were mostly retired folks, those are all full now too, you know. So I think the trick is flex flexibility. And yeah, uh, going in the off season, if it's a park where you can do that, that's obviously a smart thing but also broadening your scope a little bit. Of course, everybody wants to see the Grand Canyon and God knows everybody should, but um, you know, there's a national park here in Northern California, Lassen. If you wanna to go to a place with, with the woods and not see any people, that's your place to go. And then there's you know, uh, uh, preserves and, and other na that are part of the national park system. Like again, here in California, the Mojave Preserve is one of my favorite places. You can go there and maybe not see anybody. Um, and so I think being being uh, open to some of those other experiences is, is probably the smartest thing you can do. Right, recognizing that there's beauty all over. Yeah. I was gonna say one of the interesting things about the pandemic is that it, it sort of both drove people into the outdoors because it's a great place to social distance and travel safely yeah. and um, get out of those ur um, urban areas. But at the same time, you had more people working from home, more right. people working remotely, and for those people who could figure out the Wi-Fi cell uh, situation, mm -hmm. you know, some of them were out camping um, and working remotely, and 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 that was through the winter, through shoulder seasons, and so, um, and you know, depending on how many people actually go back to the office, um, you know, the, we, we may continue. Now. Yeah. It's the way it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that you know finding um, working in the outdoors and. Uh, my husband, since we bought this trailer, he goes down to the beach no less than twice a week and, and works from the beach there. So wow. nice. uh, using the trailer, so, <laughs> I mean, just trying to enjoy it as much as we can. 
Um, so thank you for sharing that. You know, AAA is one of the few entities that's still sending field cartographers out to do mapping. Shane, how did you get into this work, and could you tell us a little bit about what it's like? Sure. Uh, it's mostly luck, as it turned out. So I had another career as an actor, and I was uh, hiking here in the mountains near where I live now in, in uh, uh, near Fraser Park, and there was a guy with a flat tire in the road, and the back of his thing said AAA mapping unit. So because we couldn't get by him, we, we helped him change the tire and talked. And as he was, I was asking him about his job because I didn't understand exactly what he was doing. As, as he was describing it, my friends kept laughing, and I didn't understand what they were laughing at. And after a minute, they're like, Shane, that's, that's your job right there. So just on a whim, I applied. There wasn't an opening right away. Maybe a year and a half later, I had since moved to New York. Phone call comes, and they want me to come in for an interview. And uh, I have not done anything else but this since then. And and how long ago was that? Grateful. 20 years, 20 plus years. 20 yeah. plus years. It yeah. sounds like fate, right? It is. A and AAA truck broken down on the side of the road, and you exactly. helped change that tire. And that, that gentleman ended up to be my, my trainer and my partner for almost 10 years. So um, what we do is, um, well, we drive everything on the map, and, and, uh, but the focus is for, for this position is on the backcountry stuff. So the 4x4 four four roads, the Forest Service roads, the, the roads that are kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You can get the other data, as most map makers would do. That data is available and pretty accurate. I verify all of that data, and then we add our own in on the dirt roads. Uh, verified by me. So I'm a glorified data collector <laughs> and, and also editor. So I'm the I'm kind of the first person who says, well, if we're doing a map about arches, what's actually important? Obviously, obvious things like campgrounds and things like that, the arches themselves. But maybe there's a, you know, an old cabin that isn't featured on anything, but that I that that, that has some information on it that the Park Service would like to to have part of their map. We would stick it on our map too then. So I get to see all the fun stuff. Yeah, thank you for yeah. sharing that. You know, thinking about what somebody can find on one of our maps, um, one of the ones that you're helping put together, mm -hmm. uh, share with us what else uh, our members could expect. By oh my goodness, it, it varies so much depending on, on uh, what the park is. Um, so a, a place like Arches, say, or Bryce, we have a Bryce Zion map, or Grand Canyon, uh, I mentioned before about the turnouts. We would, we would mark those if they were a specific kind of, uh, a place you can pull over, let your kids run around a little bit. So it might be something as simple in that, as that, or it might be a historical mine. I don't encourage anybody to go down into mines, but there are people who love our maps because out in the back country, we would mark with the old name, hey, you know, here's, uh, you know, Golden Hill Mine or, or something like that. So, and that's the part of the job that I kind of decide, uh, you know, uh, how much of that gets on, how much do we have room for, is it too cluttered, is, is this really interesting or is it just a thing? So, um, yeah, just uh, so many different things. Uh, the maps appeal to so many different people that, um, you know, if you're a rock hound, well, then, then you will find, you know, some geological information like a, pl a place you could dig for something. Uh, people who love mines, people who like to 4x4. Four four. We don't do hardcore 4x4 four four maps. Um, but a place like uh, um, Arches or Canyonlands has some really tough backcountry roads for those people too. Yeah, thank you for that. And Jim, this isn't the first time you've accompanied Shane on one of his mapping explorations. Is there anything you want to share about a previous trip? 
Um, well, we uh, yeah, I've traveled with Shane through um, a good part of the Southwest working on the Indian country map that we produce. Um, and um, I think you know one of the one of the things that kind of blew my mind was the um, the amount of work that goes into these maps and um, and just how much sort of um, curating, goes on um, because you simply can't fit it, all of the landmarks, all of the roads onto a, a single map. And so there's a lot of thought given to like what will our members really benefit from on these maps and what don't they need to know. Um, I mean, a couple of other things that, that, um, that I learned uh, about map making while accompanying Shane. Um, you know, a lot of, in a lot of parks, there's no cell service um, in, in various corners. And um, if you're traveling with a navigation app on your phone, which works great in the city, it might not work so great once you're off the grid and out of cell range. And so um, these maps are invaluable just in terms of being able to navigate around the park. Um, and in addition, the navigation apps don't do a very good job of distinguishing um, uh, among different um, back road types. So, you know, you could have a graded dirt road that's that might be fine for any passenger car uh, or a really rough, um, rocky stretch that you would really need a 4x4 and a lot of clearance on. And um, the maps that Shane works on distinguish um, between those two different kinds of roads. So if you're out at Arches, which has both of those kinds of roads, um, and you want to get away from the crowds and you want to do so safely, um, uh, the, this map is invaluable, and, and, and the, the National Park series maps are really invaluable for people who are looking to do that. Wow, thank you. So what are some other things that you'd like to share about your trip? Is there anything specific that stands out for you? Oh, I mean, in terms of our trip to Arches, um, one of the things, you know, I was just thinking a lot when we were there about the popularity of these parks and particularly Arches. Um, and I wasn't really sure how I was going to feel when, when we got there and were sort of confronted with a lot of other people, um, you know, out hiking and, and were the trails going to feel too crowded? Um, was I going to get what felt like a the kind of outdoor experience I used to get as a kid when it didn't seem like there were so many people filling these parks. Um, and, you know, one, one of the highlights of the trip actually was hiking to Delicate Arch, which is the most iconic arch in the park. It's on all of the Utah license, most Utah license plates. Um, you see it everywhere on postcards. And um, the there were a lot of people on the trail hiking up to Delicate Arch, and I knew when I got up to the arch, it was just going to be, um, it was going to be crawling with people, <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure uh, if, I, if that was going to feel okay to me, um, because like Abby, I wanted this place for myself. Um, but what surprised me was that um, everybody was like they were so respectful. They were quiet. They were almost, um, there was almost like a reverential feeling to the place. Like we've come to a sacred site and we need to be respectful of one another and, and this place. And, um, you know, we were there last summer and for me, it was my first, you know, big road trip uh, since the pandemic began. And um, it really felt as though there was like a kind of a quiet celebration going on. We've all survived this so far. Um, there was this, it was at a point where people were starting to go back out, you know, be, before the, uh, the latest Omicron variant. Um, and um, I, didn't, I didn't feel like that greedy feeling like I need this place to myself. I felt, you know, really like sort of um, 
grateful. I was grateful to be there and really to be sharing it with these people. We've all just suffered this, you know, rough couple of years. And um, I don't know, it was a really special feeling that um, I don't think I'll ever forget. Wow. It's funny because uh, I had a moment related to that that surprised me a little bit. So I'd already I'd already done most of the park. I'd been there a couple times already. And uh, at the risk of sounding like the old crotchety guy, I was horrified at the crowds, just mortified because I can remember arches when, you know, you see a couple of cars. Um, so Jim says, well, I got to go do this hike to Delicate Arch. You're coming, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? We drove into the parking lot and it's full and it's over 100 degrees and it's like 8 a.m. And I'm like, see, I'll tell me, you know, I'll look for you. I'm going to go drive out in the desert by myself. I just, I just was quite mortified by that. And this is one of the things the Park Service has to deal with is right. people whose expectations are maybe not there. But when he got back and I listened to him talk about it and talk about the people that he met and how he found his, his joy out there, it kind of made me stop for a minute and go, yeah, I, I'm probably pressing a little bit with expectations that I have from 25 years ago. Um, so I, I, that actually it was good to have him go with me on that trip and kind of straighten me out a little bit. Straighten out the crotchety old <laughs> yeah. map maker. I mean, it reminds me of those um, photos you might see, Instagram versus reality. Yeah. Yes. And I think all of us really have to just reset our expectations. Um, you know, the, the beauty's not a hidden gem anymore that everybody wants to experience. You that. know, the one of those that I laugh at the most is because I go by there all the time. Near Page, Arizona is Horseshoe Bend. Uh, I think it's actually a state park, but it bumps up against part of the Grand Canyon. And everybody gets their shot. You kind of hang over the edge, and there's this beautiful curve of the Colorado River right there. But what you never see is if you turn around, there's a parking lot full of shuttle buses. <laughs> to get that shot, you have to ask people to step back out of the way, and you wait in line to get that one iconic shot. So whenever I see that one, I, I kind of shake my head a little bit. <laughs> and the place you go, if you like that, go mm -hmm. to Gooseneck State Park in Utah, just north of Monument Valley. Similar setup, not so many people. <laughs> and and you're sharing with us it was really hot in the hundreds. What can you know, travelers or um, people that are going out for the first time? What are some things that they should know um, to travel safely? And, I, I think uh, you know preparation is is just really the key. A shameless plug. First thing I would do, and I always do, is I get a map, a fold out map that I can put on the table, give my daughter the highlighter pen, and say where are we going. So you also get a sense of your own, you know, where you are in the geography. Uh, and then the next thing, as Jim mentioned, the National Park Service, nps.gov, is a really great site. You can learn, all, you know, uh, biology and geology, history. They also have a little section that is plan your trip. And I always click on that and see what they're saying. Are there roads closed? That stuff. Is there a heat warning on? Do you need to take that into consideration if you have somebody older or, or younger or yourself? Um, and then, uh, I, 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 I can't stress this enough, I'm such a fan of the Park Service. The first thing I do, and I've been to all of these parks so many times, is I stop in the visitor center and I make small talk with whatever ranger is willing to make small talk. They always have good things to say. They always, if, if you're like me and you're like, where can I go to not see so many people? They know where that is and they'll help you get there. Um, so in, in doing all of that, you also end up remembering to use the bathroom get a couple extra bottles of water, maybe something to eat if they have that available there. So I think the stop at the visitor center on a hot day or in a hot park is just hard to beat. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, and just being smart about it. I mean, it was it was hot when we were there, but but I did get out at eight a.m., um, which is you know kind of kind of a narrow window early in the day when you could hike safely. Um, later, I think that afternoon, Shane and I stopped by um, the the visitor center. I had an, a, an interview lined up with the park ranger to, to chat about um, some of these issues with crowds and. Um, we were waiting for the ranger and somebody, uh, a young woman walked up to the uh, uh, kind of an information table um, and asked her, really it was probably about 112 at the time, you know, yeah. where can I hike now? And the ranger just said flat out, you can't hike now. Don't think about hiking right now. If you want to hike in the park, wait till tomorrow morning, get out early before the temperature gets too hot. You could see her disappointment, but he was doing his job because he didn't want to go have to hike out there and drag her out three hours later. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for those that are looking at things like that on Instagram and seeing these beautiful sites but not really having done it before, right. it's yeah. important to do your homework. So how can um, those who are not as adventurous, maybe uh, those you know looking at the photos and being inspired um, by the words in, in your articles or the words of um, Edward Abbey and want to go out and explore this, how can they enjoy it if they're not um, adventurous like you two are I mean, one of the one of the great w things that people can do that I think people don't often think about is um, signing on for a small group tour that takes in national parks um, there are a lot of companies around the US that will take anywhere from you know five to 20 25 people out um, in a couple of small vans um, the, the, the benefit of this is that they, um, they often will have reservations already if the park is already booked up. They'll have reservations at beautiful lodges in these parks when you may not be able to get them. Um, and you, you share this experience with, um, with uh, hopefully new friends. Um, Insight Vacations is one that um, I know they offer um, uh, several great tours that, that include um, some of the Southwest parks. Um, um, Canyonlands, Bryce, Zion, that area, um, but also um, parks further further east. Um, and so I would encourage people to think about, um, you know, not necessarily traveling on their own, but leaving it to a guide and, and signing on for one of these small group tours. And the other thing, of course, is that you don't have to camp if you're not a big camper. Mm -hmm. There are incredible lodges in and around a lot of these national parks. Um, and um, uh, when Shane and I went out to Arches, we stayed in... Um, in Moab, in a, in a hotel in Moab. And uh, Arches is, is one park that doesn't have a lot of campsites in the park. Um, there's more uh, camping available outside the park. Um, but in that kind of heat, I think we both didn't, weren't really too enthusiastic <laughs> about, um, about camping. Um, but, um, but, you know, uh, Moab is not far from the park entrance. It's, it's a, maybe a 15-minute drive. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very comfortable way to visit a park, make day trips in, um, then head back to your air-conditioned room afterward. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that idea. I would just say that, um, you know, too, that, that, that uh, travel advisors can be super helpful in, in terms of um, um, helping you navigate this, the, the, the many options that are out there in terms of what kind of a, um, a tour or what kind of lodging you may be interested in. Yeah, AAA has our own travel advisors. Can they help with um, tours like this and set up tours or lodging? 
Absolutely. Better. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, uh, during the pandemic and, and as we sort of hopefully emerge from it a bit, um, people really learn the value of using travel advisors. You know, they can help you navigate COVID rules. Um, if you, if a cancellation is required for any reason, they can handle a lot of the, the tough work of getting refunds. So um, that's that's a good way to go. Yeah, and for those who, you know, enjoy the air conditioning of their vehicle and <laughs> enjoy, you know, the sights from their car, um, are there any things like that where they can drive through the park? Yeah, the, I mean, uh, Arches is actually a, a very car-friendly park if, uh, if you're car touring, if that's what you're mm -hmm. going to do. And uh, I'm a big fan of Bryce, too. Bryce is basically a, a long, skinny hill and the road goes down the top of it so you have views, uh, views off of both sides uh, uh so i love that one and the south rim of the grand canyon for a car tour is also you know uh, really something special <laughs> even even when the crowds are there it's still a spectacular thing uh to do yeah sounds yeah. like something i would get into with the two boys yes. i've learned that when they <laughs> fall asleep in the car do not disturb and so i still want to be able to enjoy and and we'll do this when we go in to look at um, holiday lights and things like that the kids are asleep do the driving <laughs> so i'd still want to be able to enjoy you know the sights if the kids had fallen asleep in the car and that's you know, i got awesome. one more more shameless plug related to that so we do a map as jim <laughs> mentioned uh, called indian country and uh, it's a four corners map, basically. So if you, if you were taking uh, you know, a trip with your two kids and you wanted a, one of those trip of the lifetime trips, that's, that's a great map to do that. So all five of uh, Utah's big five national parks are on there. Wow. Grand Canyon uh, in Arizona is on there. You have Chaco and Canyon de Chez in New Mexico. And what that map literally was designed to do over 100 years ago is lead people from one of those parks to the next one to the next one. It's often the map you'll see if you go to a visitor center at a park, it's the one they'll have there on the, the thing because they know they can give directions really easily too. So wow. road tripping, that's about, a, I think about as good as it gets. Yeah, amazing. My favorite map too, obviously. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Yeah, well, you know, I w I've been thinking about this because um, we just put together a, a story for the next issues of the magazines. Um, with some of the, the best road trips you can take in national parks. Um, and, you know, Edward Abbey, who I mentioned earlier, who wrote about arches, he, he, he didn't believe that cars belonged in national parks. Um, he writes about that quite fiercely in Desert Solitaire. Um, of course, my experience growing up was driving into national parks with my parents and having <laughs> a wonderful time. And I hadn't given it a lot of thought. But it turns out that... Um, that, that roads were a part of the, the national park system really from the very beginning. Um, in fact, the, 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 um, early, um, the early park um, sort of masterminds were thinking about how are we going to get people to visit these parks? How are we going to make sure we're going to get federal funding to continue to maintain the parks? And they believed from the beginning that roads were the answer. Um, and they also believed that, that roads could really offer people um, if they were done properly, these roads could offer a window onto these parks that would help people really want to continue to protect them for years to come. And so a lot of the, the roads in our national parks were just beautifully designed to, to offer great views um, and to leave people sort of with that, with that feeling of like, a, you know, um, that connection to this country and, and, and the land here and also a, a um, um, you know, a real belief in protecting it for future generations. Um, and of course, if you 
don't want to um, if you don't want to mix cars with your wilderness experience, there are all sorts of places you can go in the U.S. where you can get far away from cars. Um, you know, the Sierra. Uh, mountain range in California is full of um, wonderful uh, backcountry hikes to be had um, where you will you will not see a car anywhere in sight. So, you know, you can find whatever kind of wilderness experience you're looking for. But the national parks um, uh, are really just um, they're great places often to drive and to, to, to have that kind of experience, as you said, with your with your whole family. You know, yeah, it's amazing that they did such a great job with putting the roads in in a way that would still preserve the beauty of it. Um, some, of, some of them are just astounding. Um, one of my favorites is Crater Lake mm -hmm. near where, where I grew up. You literally drive around a volcano, you know, with this beautiful lake in the middle. That's a great car trip right there. You, you don't need to hike at all to, to fall in love with Crater Lake. Sounds beautiful. Thank you. I should just mention that, you know, some of these roads, um, of course, because it's such a great experience, they're incredibly popular these days. Um, <laughs> and so even sometimes just to drive one of the roads, you will need a reservation. Uh, I believe that's true of um, going to the Sun Road in Glacier National Park in Montana. Um, if you want to drive that road, it's, a, it's an incredible road, offers amazing views. Um, you need to make sure that you plan that well in advance. Yeah, that's really important that you mention that because even the driving trip, if I'm not planning on lodging or yeah. anything like that, you still it's have changing. to have those reservations. Yeah, it's changing now. So what would be one thing besides making reservations, besides planning early in advance, one thing that you recommend to get the most from your outdoor vacations? I, I mean, I, Shane touched on it earlier, but I would say, um, you know, just to be prepared. Um, and, and part of that, I guess, is, you know, in addition to having food and water and a map and all of that, is just to, to recognize that, um, that you're in an, an outdoor, sometimes in a wilderness environment, the weather can have a big impact on your trip. Um, other visitors can as well. And so you've got to be flexible. So and just, just going in, understanding that, um, you know, things may change while you're there. It may be too hot to hike and you're going to have to let go of that idea of hiking, um, save it for another day. Um, and just be willing to kind of go with the flow. I mean, I, I, I've had so many experiences. Um, you know, one of my favorite parks, as Shane mentioned, is Yosemite and being up there with my daughter and not having a particular um, plan in mind. But, you know, we may get to one trail and it turns out that it's closed. So we hop in the car and drive a few miles to another trail and wind up having an even better experience hiking up to a waterfall than, than I had even imagined. Um, and so that's just, just going in um, knowing that, that, that things can change and that you've just got to be willing to, to go with it. Pretty much the same answer. <laughs> uh, here in the West, it's, it's easier. So if you want to go see arches, you should, mm -hmm. you should absolutely do that. But if you get there and there's just too much for you, well, next door you have Canyonlands. You have the brand new Bears Ears just below that. You have, uh, let's see what else is, Capitol Reef is not far away from there. So if you did a little research ahead of time and familiarize yourself with the area, then uh, having a, the flexibility to go with Plan B instead of Plan A isn't going to be isn't going to be too hard. Um, different in different places, but yeah, that's I think that's the thing. I don't think we all know how all these changes are going to turn out yet. I, I have faith the Park Service will come up with with something that works, but um, while they're figuring it out, this will be Arch's first time trying this. Uh, Yosemite's trying some new stuff, as Jim mentioned. So I don't know what it's going to be like this time out. So I'm going to be ready for make a plan B. You know. 
Thank you. So for our listeners who are, you know, listening in to hear this, um, definitely be prepared and also look out for that reservation system to launch <laughs> um, in April, you said, right? It arches, yeah. Different mm -hmm. parks have different, uh, different um, um, timing on these things. But. Thank you. So um, anything else? Have these experiences, uh, the ones that you've had more recently, have they changed you in any way? You know, every time I go, um, every time I visit one of these parks, get into the outdoors, I guess I'm um, what 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 I'm reminded of is just um, um, what an amazing country this is. Um, how beautiful the land can be. I live in the city. It's very noisy. A lot of people. Um, feels like life is coming at me very fast, and it's what what I really value is in in going out. Um, into into these parks and into the outdoors is just slowing down, um, finding some some silence, some quiet, um, and just sort. Of, I find that it it's sort of it's a nice um, um, it helps sort of balance out all of the craziness of um, of city living, uh, and in, inevitably by the time I, I I come back to all of the craziness, I'm feeling more grounded, more connected, more relaxed. Um, so that's really, um, I mean, every, it's 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 like a balm for the soul, I think, and that's that's why I go out there, and it's it, what it's what keeps me returning um, year after year. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more about the uh, the great outdoors. I will say, when I'm, you know, home, I'm hyper focused on everything that's going on in my small world. But when you get out and enjoy something like that, you realize that um, the problems are so small. Uh, and the beauty is amazing, so yeah. thank you. All right, so I appreciate everything that um, you've shared with us, with our listeners. I know I'm excited. I'm thinking <laughs> about my next travel plans, and I'm sure our listeners are today as well. Jim Benning, travel editor for AAA and Ace Publications, thank you for being with us. And Shane Henry, AAA field cartographer, thank you for sharing with us as well. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you're planning a trip, connect with a AAA travel advisor. Check out AAA.com forward slash travel or visit your local branch. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe. Thank you for traveling with AAA.